0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 don't be bashful this morning but we're going to read together in unison beginning in verse 1 and we're going to read the first four the first four verses 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning this morning in verse number 1 and we're going to read in unison through verse number 4 all right join with me if you would in verse number 1 of chapter 2 the bible says For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. For even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. I'd like to challenge you this morning on what it means to be trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for this college. Thank you for each of these young people that you've brought from around the world and around the nation to study here. Thank you for the administration and faculty who have given their lives to pour into these young people. And now as we meet for chapel, as we open the Word of God, I pray that you will instruct us. I pray that your spirit will meet each one of us where we are and lead us to where we need to be, and I pray that with greater fervency, at the end of this chapel, we'll have hearts to be trustworthy servants, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Our context is Acts chapter 16, where Paul was preaching, and you know that he and Silas were thrown into jail, at midnight they're singing praises. And uh, the angel of God shows up and releases them. Uh, They give the gospel to the jailer who's absolutely certain that his life's going to come to an end. And it ends up instead that he's given new life. And he trusts the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. The Apostle Paul is beaten. They find out he's a Roman and the next day he's released. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that... They went down the road, and it's approximately 50 miles, to a city called Thessalonica. And the Bible says that they were there three Sabbath days, or literally three weeks. But great things happened when they were there. A local church was established. And when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, questions had arisen about Paul about his integrity, about his motives, about his ministry. If you're going to be faithful and serve God, you're going to find that it won't all be smooth sailing. You'll encounter many challenges, as you know, but I think one of the hardest is when people question your character. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Paul in these verses of 1 Thessalonians 2 gives a defense of his life in their midst. And I believe it powerfully presents for us who are in the ministry, and you young people who are going into the ministry, and have years, Lord willing, of faithful service ahead of you, it provides a pattern of those ingredients that must be in our lives if we are going to be men and women of godly character. If we are going to be trustworthy. Notice with me this morning, students, that Paul says... I was trustworthy, number one, in the content of my life. The content of my life, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as ye know, at Philippi, which we just referenced, Acts chapter 16. He said, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now he describes the content of his life. Now remember, we all have a body of knowledge. We all have a body of content that God gives to us that we live out. He was an apostle. He was a preacher. He was a a writer of scripture. And so it's in that context that he describes the content of his ministry. He says in verse 3, for our exhortation, that's our preaching, was not of deceit. I mean, there's a saying that we use in the South, Paul was gun, barrel, straight. The Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. That was Paul. He was completely honest. He goes on and says, nor of uncleanness. There was no sensuality in his ministry. No sensuality in his dealings. I need not expound upon this today in the 21st century. Every one of us know that we live in a time when sensuality abounds. Paul said, it wasn't in the fabric of my time with you. He goes on and he says, nor in guile. Speaks of his motives. Every now and then my wife and I will be with someone and we'll get in the car to leave. And my wife will say to me, Greg, he or she, in their conversation with us tonight, they were guileless. Without agenda, speaks of his motives. He said, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. What a trust. Young people, that trust wasn't only given to Paul. It's given to you. Amen. He says, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Verse 5, for neither at any time used we flattering words. You ever been flattered? Anybody who preaches, Dr. Getz, has been flattered. You've been in meetings where people have flattered you. No fun to be flattered. It's, It's great to be encouraged. No fun to be flattered because flattering always is done for the wrong reasons. Paul said that wasn't in his ministry. He said, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. Hey, Paul didn't go places to preach for what he could put in his billfold. He said, I wasn't motivated by the dollar. He said, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now, he was talking about the parameters of his ministry. May I say that the tempter comes to us Wherever our strength is, that's where we struggle to be trustworthy in the content of who we are and what we do. If you look at people who get in trouble with money, many times there are people who have access to money. Many times there are people who have access to the books. And they, they get tempted with, the, what, what's at hand? Students, what you have at hand is studying, reading, writing papers, filling out reports for your your extension. May I say at this time in your life, you need to determine in your heart that you're going to be gun barrel straight. As Paul told Timothy, that you're going to provide things honest in the sight of all Men, because as you set the pattern to be trustworthy in the small items of your life, in your reading reports, and all, all that you're called upon to do by your teachers, the way is being paved for you to be honest and trustworthy in your future ministry. I taught for years at two other colleges, I taught homiletics. The last college I taught at, we had this policy during finals. If you were caught cheating on a final, you were expelled. So when we would go into the week of final exams, one of the administrators would stand up in chapel and would say, students, let me remind you of this policy. It's not. We don't have this policy at midterms, but we have the policy at finals. If you're caught cheating on an exam, you will be expelled. So the stage is set. I was uh, giving this test. I passed it out, and was sitting at a desk up front, and was doing some reading and doing some paperwork, and occasionally I'd get up and I would walk through the classroom. I happened to look and to see a young man from Long Island, one of the boroughs of New York City. I happened to see him look down, he'd put his sleeve up, and he pulled it down. It appeared to me that he had written on his wrist. So I immediately walked back and asked him to... Pull the sleeve up and sure enough written all over his arm because he had a long sleeve shirt on was the material that he had written down in order to cheat on the exam. I didn't feel that I, I, I could leave the, the rest of the students to take him down to, the, down to the, the Dean of Men's Office, the Student Life Office. So I basically went on with the exam and I pulled his. And when the test was over and I walked him down to the dean of students' office and I told the dean of students what had happened and uh, he said to the young man, hey, will you please pull up your sleeve? And he pulled up his sleeve and it was completely empty. The dean of men looked at me and said, Dr. Munch, there's, there's nothing on his arm. <laughs> I said, hey, it was on his arm. I just saw it on his arm. The young man looked at me and said, no, no, <coughs> Dr. Much. somehow you're mixed up here. I never had anything written on my arm. I said, you did. He looked at me with those steely eyes. I said, sorry, you're wrong. The dean of men asked the student to sit outside and he looked at me and said, hey, I think we're stuck. He said, somehow between the time you saw him in the classroom and, and, and this particular moment, he said, he's destroyed the evidence. He said, Dr. Munch, we can't go ahead and enforce the policy. We can't take a, we can't take a student and remove him from college when we have no evidence. I said, I saw it. He cheated. A young man called his pastor up in New York and the pastor jumped on a plane and came down and we drove down the road and sat at, had dinner at Olive Garden and he basically said to me, pastor, Dr. Much, I've known this guy all my life. He, he grew up in my church. I know his family. I, I, I know his sister. He says, I know his parents. I've known him since he was a boy. He said, I can vouch for his character. He would not have cheated on the exam. Nothing we could do. He finished the semester and went home for Christmas. He came back, and second semester when I would see him, I'd see him on campus, and I'd greet him, and I'd wave at him, but, and he just wasn't as friendly as he used to be. He kept his distance from me, and if he could go way around me and not talk to me on campus, that's exactly what he would do. He came back the next year. This happened in his junior year. I remember sitting on the stage and watching him as he came across and got his diploma and and he finished and he was all done and he went into the ministry. And I don't know how many years went by. I would guess five or six years went by. And he sent me a letter. And he said, I'm in the ministry. I'm a youth pastor. But he said, I just don't have the touch of God on my life and on my ministry. and I've asked the Lord to show me if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to Him. And He said in Technicolor, He has brought the situation back to me. And He said, I'm reaching out, first of all, to tell you I cheated on the exam. You caught me red-handed. And He said, I covered it. And he said, I lied on top of the cheating. And I lied to my mom and dad. And I lied to the administration. And I lied to my parents. And he said, I'm now married. And he said, I, I, I have, I'm starting a family. And he said, I'm moving along in the ministry. And he said, I want God to bless me. But he said, God will not bless me until I come clean with you and with the college over the fact that I lacked integrity and I'm continuing to demonstrate a lack of integrity by keeping this sin covered. He said, I'm writing for a second reason. I've asked God to forgive me. And he said, I'm now writing to say, will you as my teacher and will the college where I cheated, will you forgive me? I got on the phone. I said, yes. Yes. Yes, we forgive you. I forgive you. The college forgives you. It's under the blood. But I said, let me help you with something going forward in the ministry. Your temptation isn't just going to be when you're a college kid in homiletics. Your temptation as a preacher is going to be when you're preaching along and trying to make an impression. Your your temptation is going to be to exaggerate. Your temptation is going to be in some different way in the area of ministry, and it's never going to go away. And I said, you must keep short accounts with God, and you must ask God to build your character, and you must ask God to make you a trustworthy servant of God. Young people, we live in an age When it's easy to discount anything, say, well, it's fake news. Oh, that didn't happen. And this or that or the other. Hey, listen, you've got the Holy Spirit within you. The Lord will tell you, and His Spirit will resonate within you whether or not what you're doing is completely honest. Paul said, I had character. I was trustworthy in the conduct of my ministry. But quickly this morning, he says, secondly, I was trustworthy, excuse me, in the content of my ministry. I was trustworthy, secondly, in the conduct of my ministry. Verse number 10, ye are witnesses in God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Oh, my, I use three different words here, beautiful words. The first word, holy, which reflects the character of God. That has to do with a man's relationship with God. That's a vertical relationship. He says how holy and how just. That has to do with our, not our vertical, but our horizontal relationships. And he says, unblameably, he said, there was nothing that could be laid to my charge. He says, we behaved ourselves in this manner among you that believed. By I thought of Joseph in Genesis 39 when he was given great responsibility. And if there was ever an outsider, <laughs> it was Joseph. I mean the Egyptians wouldn't as much as eat meals with the Hebrews. And here comes Joseph and he ends up being Potiphar's right-hand man. And you know the story ends up in Potiphar's house and Potiphar attempts, his wife uh, attempts to seduce him. And when she did continually, what did he finally say to her? He said in Genesis 39 and verse 9, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What was he saying? I want to be holy. He said, Potiphar, your husband has put everything in this house under my jurisdiction with one exception, You. You're his wife. He takes care of you completely. I'm not involved in that equation. What was he saying? I want to be just in my relationships. You know what? He didn't want any charge laid to his cause in Potiphar's household because he wanted to be absolutely blameless. I heard two accounts. In the last several weeks. I read, first of all, about a man who retired from the ministry after pastoring his church for 50 years. One church. He's 85 years old. But as I read about his retirement, somebody asked him, basically, what what was the key to his wonderful ministry? And he had a great ministry. And this is what he said. He said, I begin every day on my knees. Wow. I said to my wife, Dr. Ketch, think of that. Getting out of bed in the morning and right away dropping to your knees. He said, that's what I did for 50 years. But he said, not only did I do it in the morning, he said, before I go to bed at night, I'd get down on my knees again. And he said, morning and evening, he said, I prayed for God to give me three things. He said, I prayed and asked God to give me faith. I secondly asked God to give me courage. And I thirdly asked God to give me wisdom. I said to my wife imagine 50 years of getting up in the morning and dropping to your knees. 50 years before you get in bed and put your head on the pillow, you drop to your knees. 50 years of saying, God, give me faith. God, give me courage. God, give me wisdom. But to God be the glory. God answered his prayers. But in contrast, I heard about another man who was similar in age and was on his deathbed in the hospital, and he asked for the pastor to come. And when the pastor came, he said, Pastor, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know the Lord saved me. I know I'm his child. But he said, there's something that I have a huge regret about. Pastor said, what's that? He said, I got into pornography as a young man, and he said, now I'm in my 80s, and I'm ready to die, and I've never put it aside. What a contrast. Both those men had decades of life. Both those men had great opportunities. Both of those men had the same number of hours in the day and the same number of days in the week. in their mid-80s, both lives arrived at two different destinations. The one man like Paul could say, look at my life, take it apart. For the glory of God, it was a life of faith. It was a life of courage. It was a life of wisdom. As God blessed me in unusual ways, the second guy hung his head in shame. Oh, the regret. Could have made different decisions. I could have put different things in my heart. Truly, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I spent 25 years in institutional ministry between the time I pastored in two churches. In my great shock, Dr. Getch being back as a pastor. how the level of morality has changed in the Lord's Church. Young man, young lady, remember, you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. conduct in the private place is important. Your thinking in the private place is important. God is far more concerned about what you are than what you do or what you have. And the Lord is far more concerned about your character than He is about your credentials. Now, you're here to get credentials, and that's wonderful. And you'll get great credentials from this institution. And if I could hire more graduates of West Coast Baptist College, I'd be thrilled to do that because I know of you. The credentials you will have. But never forget, forget young man, never forget, young lady, that your credentials will always be second to your character. It's your character that will open doors for your service, not your credentials. Paul said, I was trustworthy. I was trustworthy in my content of my ministry. I was trustworthy in the conduct of my ministry. But number three, he said, I was trustworthy in the counsel of my ministry. He said in verse number 11, as ye know how we exhorted. Oh my, that's what coaches do. Uh, Aren't we attracted to coaches who can motivate players to do great things? He said, you know how we exhorted, how we comforted. This is what a friend does. This is what a a Barnabas does. He says, and how we charged every one of you. This is what an attorney does. Uh, Oh my, You, you know when we need help in our churches, we call Dr. Gibbs. And man, Dr. Gibbs charges us as to what to do. Every one of you, as a father doth his children. What did He exhort and comfort and charge them to do? That they would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. None of us are worthy in ourselves when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, His personal Savior. Uh, our, our righteousness is declared through Him and through His shed blood. And we're given the multiple opportunities to take our lives, to take our time, to take our talent, to take our treasure, and to invest it in service in advancing His kingdom. And you're going to find out that as you're here at West Coast and as people come, one of the words that will be frequently floated here is the word potential. But may I say, your potential will never be developed and mined and used to advance the kingdom of God unless you have the right counsel. You say, What do you mean by that? I said, We just live. In a world of negativity. We live in a world of ne- negativity that abounds <laughs> within the Christian community. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is, 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 is when the, the, the God sent the, the spies from Kadesh Barnea in to check out the land. Hey, did God need a report of what was going on in the land? Not in your life. He sent them in there because he wanted those 12 guys who were the Green Beret. I mean, they were the Navy SEALs. I I think of that. they picked 12 men and they went in. And the Bible says that when they came back, only two men, as you know, only Joshua and Caleb said, we can kill those giants. The other 10 gave negative reports. And what does the Bible say? That when those 10 people gave the negative reports, do you know what the impact was on the crowd of the Jews? Their hearts melted. Young man, young lady, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about the biblical words here where you come alongside people and you encourage them and you exhort them and you charge them to invest their lives for God. I was thinking as we were coming out here. I said to to Pastor Jim, "Tell me, hey, Pastor Jim, stand up if you would. I got a man from my church here. He has a great ministry in Uganda. He's never been to West Coast. Hey, may I just say, you just throw a speaker when you welcome him the way I did. Hey, will you likewise welcome Pastor Jim to West Coast? This is great." Hey, thank you. I told Brother Weaver he's got a daughter that could be coming to college here, possibly. I'm saying, hey, get her on the radar. This is one of the schools I believe she'll look at. I'd be thrilled if she came to West Coast. But you know what I said to him? I said, hey, every Saturday night I get a text from Dr. R. I mean, it comes in like clockwork. You know what he says to me? Something along this line. Hey, been thinking about you today, praying for your services tomorrow, and I, I'm just asking that God will give you a great day at Bible Baptist in Hendersonville. And you know what? Man, I get that text. You know what it just does? woo. man, it just gets me all excited. Hey, man, this guy who's busy as can be in a college, man, he's texting me on Saturday night. It just encourages me. Sometime back, I got a letter from Dr. Getch. Handwritten. He names the students from our church who are in the student body here at West Coast. It just says, "Hey, thank you for sending kids to West Coast Baptist College." I said to my wife, "Here's a guy, you know, running us college, hundreds of kids from around the country and around the world, and he's taking the time to sit down and send handwritten notes." Man, thank you. That encouraged me, Dr. Shetler, He comes to our church. He calls me and he speaks and, and uh, our, our people love Dr. Shetler. And you know what? Every time he comes after he's gone, our people are all revved up and encouraged. And uh, it's, it's a great time. The Weavers come to our church every summer and uh, every every time when he comes, I say to him, don't I, I want you to give your testimony and I want you to tell our people how you came to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Because you know what? When Brother Weaver tells how he came to know the Lord, he's just full of excitement and enthusiasm and I want our people to be encouraged and instructed and inspired by him. And that's exactly what he does. But may I just say, that's exactly what we need to do. And these men who I've mentioned this morning and many others, it doesn't happen by accident accident. You know what it does? It happens because they have determined that they're going to reach out of their comfort zone and they're going to reach beyond themselves and they're going to take the time and they're going to take the effort and they're going to encourage others in their walk with God. I went to Bible college a year late. In my senior year of high school I got away from the Lord. Instead of going to college, where I'd originally thought when I was younger I would go to Pillsbury Baptist Bible College in Minnesota, I went to a state university in Minneapolis. My second month there, I was involved in a car accident at uh, South Minneapolis on a Friday night. God used that accident to get my attention, and the next year I transferred to Bible College. We had a student body much like this. And I went to Bible college, uh, uh, Dr. Rasmussen, really thinking that uh, everybody at Bible college was going to be excited for the Lord. I just thought that I'm going to get to Bible college and I'm going to have roommates. Man, when the alarm goes off in the morning, they're going to say, Whoa, this is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, let's go on Christian service. Let's go, let's go encourage uh, uh, pe- people in, in our church. Let's go be faithful. But boy, I, I had a roommate and his name was Dave Jones. Now, I was the equivalent of a freshman, and he was a junior. We'd get, we'd get to the end of the day, and, and we'd be in the room, and, and I'd say, man, that was a great chapel message this morning. That really stirred my heart. He'd go, no, no, the guy preached too long. Oh, he didn't preach long enough. Oh, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. He was negative about everything. I would say, hey, that was was a delicious dinner tonight. Oh, man, he was negative about that. We get to missions conference. He's negative about missions conference. He's negative about Bible conference. He's negative about everything. Every fall in Minnesota, we had all these trees. And the leaves would fall, and we'd have rake day, and we would uh, rake the campus. We had about 500 rakes. And they'd bring them out the, the night before, and they'd stack them up on the middle of the campus. And we had the day off, and now we could wear our blue jeans. And, and uh, we were just so excited to spend the day raking the campus. That's where I met my wife. I should say I got to know my wife in a greater way. Another guy and I picked my wife up, had this huge, huge pile of leaves, and I took her by the ankles, and my friend took her by the wrists, and we did one, two, three, and we threw her too hard. She went up over the, pi- <laughs> yeah, she went up over the pile of leaves and landed on the ground on the other side. <laughs> yeah, but hey, but she still agreed to go out with me, so that was a good thing. And yeah, we've been married 40 years. That's great. Yeah, but, but I have to tell you something. The morning we were going to rake the campus, we got out there and all the rakes were gone. So they called the college president out. He had to make an administrative decision. Were we going to go back to class? What were we going to do? When uh, suddenly the call came to the switchboard of the college and uh, an elderly lady said, hey, I don't know if you're missing any rakes. Yeah, we said we're missing about 500 of them. (laughs) And she said, well, I was uh, in, in Minnesota, you have blocks and you have alleys behind the houses. And she said, I was sitting having my coffee this morning at about 5 o'clock and I'm looking out the back window and I saw these guys go walking by and they had armloads of rakes. I didn't think anything of it. Until about 30 minutes later, I'm still sitting there and here they came by and they had the same guys. They had more armloads of rakes. I said, hey, there's only one place they could have all those rakes. That's Pillsbury College. I'm going to call them. We said, hey, we'll send the maintenance crew over with the trucks, and we'll load up the rakes. Man, they saved the day, and we had rake day. But guess what? That night, we're in the room. Dave Jones said, hey, Greg, we almost pulled it off. Had it not been for that old lady, we would, we would have shut down rake day. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I engineered the moving of all those rakes, I said, well, Dave, you never told me. At night, he got to where he'd put a rug in front of the door. He'd invite the guys in when they're, when they're uh, supposed to be lights out, and he'd pull out the cards, and they'd start to play cards. I'd look down over the top bunk as a freshman, and he'd look up at me, and he'd say, much? You say anything, you're dead meat. I tell you what, the day came that he graduated. and Two years later, three years later, the day came that I graduated my wife and I were traveling with an ensemble. She was singing and I was speaking. And we were in a church in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. And I looked out while I'm preaching. And you know how it is, those of you who preach, you're talking to yourself when you're preaching. And so I looked out and I saw Dave Jones. And he's sitting next to a girl who was in our student body at college. Her name was Barb Spicer. And they had this little baby girl next to them. As soon as the service was over, he made a beeline down to the front. He said, hey, Greg, haven't seen you in a number of years. I said, no, Dave. I I said, i I, I was so excited to see you here. He said, can we talk privately? I said, sure. We went outside the church. He looked at me and said, Greg, I married Barb Spicer. I said, well, I assume such. He said, "Uh, we're starting a family. And he said, I've just been diagnosed with leukemia. I said, Dave, I'm so sorry. He said, it's the most serious level of leukemia you can have. He said, I will not live. Oh, I said, Dave, we'll pray. It may very well be that God will heal you. Well, he said, it's going to take a miracle. That's the only way I'll live. Otherwise, he said, this is the timeline they've given me, and I forget what it was. It was not very long. He said, there's something I'm doing. Now that I'm facing death as a young man. He said, I'm reaching out to people in whose lives I was a poor influence and asking them to forgive me. He said, I was a terrible influence in your life when we roomed together. I said, you sure were. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) He said, will you forgive me? I said, Dave, I forgive you. We gave each other a bear hug and off we went. Two years later, we were back in that church in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania on a Sunday morning. And I'm preaching away and I looked back. There's Barb Spicer Jones. There's the little girl who's two years older. Immediately after the service, she came down front said, Hey, Greg and Louie, great to see you guys. She said, Dave's gone. Dave's in heaven. But she said he always was so pleased that he talked with you before he died. I said to Pastor Jim, this ministry has encouraged us and our ministry in such powerful ways. I said, we're just a little pebble in their big pond. But I said, let's do something as we get on that campus and as we interact with their people and as we interact with their students and as we interact in that whole situation. Let's ask God to let us be those who comfort. Let us Ask God to help us be those who encourage. Let us be people who come alongside. Do you know what it takes, young person, to be negative? It takes, you know how much character it takes to be negative? It takes goose egg. The Greek word edification means to build. Just as these buildings were designed by an architect and just as there was a crew who came out and electricians who put in the electric and plumbers who put in the plumbing and and the people who did the stucco and all that's involved and now you end up with these, a beautiful edifice. So it is that God has a plan that you know what we do. God's at work in our lives through his spirit, through his word, through the shed blood of his son. But you know what? He uses us as individuals to come along and say, hey, come on, come on. Wasn't that a great... uh, uh, a great day, hey, wasn't that a great meal isn't God good God's blessed us all immeasurably as his children Paul said say what you want to about me but the record stands he said God is my witness I was given a trust, it was the gospel he said, God, knowing my heart, in the court of heaven, he'll validate what, to, what I'm writing down here in this letter to you. I was a trustworthy servant. I was trustworthy in the content of my life in ministry. I was trustworthy in the conduct of my life in ministry. I was trustworthy in the counsel of my life in ministry. And the testimony stands to this day. We're getting ready for an election. Big, big debate tonight, but it reminds me, you study this in the history books, one of the great political scandals of our nation, Watergate. Richard Nixon, of course, resigned in disgrace, and as he was leaving the presidency, the highest office of our land, as he gathered his staff together there in the White House, spoke these words. He said, you forget how magnificent it is on the top of the mountain until you have to walk through the depths of the valley. You know what he was saying, student? He was saying, you forget what a great privilege it is to be given a trust until you've been found and declared to be untrustworthy. Students, I can't leave this platform because of your COVID guidelines. But if I could, I would run up to each of you and I would I would shake you. And I would say, the Lord is talking to you. He's giving you opportunity. He's given you the, the, the thrill of being in a place like this. And to study and to serve and to have tools put in your toolbox. Determine right now that God helping you, you're going to be trustworthy. And that it'll carry over from your days in college into your ministry. And that one day you'll look back on it and say to the glory of God. I served him on the mountaintops. I served him in the valleys. And he gave me great opportunity. But he found me to be a trustworthy.